Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise, make us love what you command, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I want to point out on, a, on the front of our bulletin today, we have some selected verses from Psalm 127, which tell us that children are a blessing from the Lord. We live in a time where children a lot of times are seen as an inconvenience. Um, they can be given up. They're, they're impeding my lifestyle, and therefore they're a problem, so I just soon get rid of them, and so we do. And as we can dispose of life, as, we, as, as life itself um, is devalued, we kind of lose everything from there. The, the creation of mankind, the creation of you, is the pinnacle of God's creation story. So he, he created all there is, everything, everywhere, and then he created us in his image. And I, I want to set the stage with how important we, as human creation, how, how important we are to our Heavenly Father. As as you know, uh, Pastor Ephraim from Rwanda, as many of you know, Pastor Ephraim from Rwanda is coming to visit our church partner there. And so I've been planning his trip. Um, we're going to see, we're going to actually miss an opportunity for like life group with us here because I've planned for him to be in front of some other small churches that hopefully we can tell the story and garner more partnerships for some of those small church plants he has. Also, while doing that, I contacted my friends who bought our family farm down at Sandyville, and I said, hey, we're going to be passing by. Maybe we could stop by and look at the farm. While I was there in Rwanda, they asked me about food production, and I tried to explain, and then you felt bad when you said, you know, how do you get your food? I'm like, well, we go to this air conditioning uh, or heated uh, store that's got lights and refrigeration, and we just pick it up off the shelf. And, you know, and, and, and you're trying to say that without... Uh, how would they hear this? And, and I was I was getting a glimpse of that while I was sitting in this living room, and then they're asking me these questions, and I had experienced how we get food there. I don't think I did well at, at explaining how food is produced here and then how we get it. So I I want to see I wanted him to see the farm for that reason. The other thing was first time I was there, I talked about uh, John ten ten and how uh, Jesus calls his sheep to himself. With that, I used my dad calling cattle. I love that passage. I love the story. I think it's a great example. Um, and, and for us, it works. Didn't so much work for them. They're like, the idea that a man would stand in a large field of where, where the farm may lay over whatever, 60, 100, 200 acres and call cattle to himself so that there's like 20 or 40 cows that this man owns is beyond imagination for my Rwandan friends. You'd be blessed to have a small plot, I mean small, very small, maybe not as big as this room, to uh, make a garden for yourself. And this is like out in the middle of nowhere. When you're in Kigali, it's a very busy city. I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and this is still true. So I wanted him to see the farm, and so I called my friends, talked to them about it, and they're beautiful, wonderful people. And it's sure, you just come by, come by anytime. Yes, bring your friend, yes. And I said, you know, and whatever you want him to see. Um, I don't have really anything in mind. I said, but... Um, he will see things with like fresh eyes. It will be like a child coming to the farm. So 
So whatever, whatever you might find interesting to show him, he will be interested in seeing. We take all kinds of amazing things for granted, you know, like tractors and such stuff on how we get our food. This will be very interesting to him as he sees it. He'll be seeing it like for the first time. And I said it'd be like showing a child. Well, that childlike faith is what we're looking at today. So these, these people, uh, that, that are coming to Jesus, and Jesus is going to use this story of people coming to him to tell us what it's like to enter the kingdom of God. And there's that childlike faith that he's going to describe. This We're, we're in Luke. We're in chapter 18. We're in the traveling narratives of Luke. So he's on his way toward Jerusalem. And along the way, there are these different stories. That's where we are. Um, this story, this passage comes to us. In between two others, one Ryan talked to us about last week about the tax collector and the Pharisee and how uh, the Pharisee was dependent upon his own righteousness and his own works and his own worth. And yet the, the tax collector, the, the hated, most hated person in the community, just flung himself at the foot of the cross and pleaded for mercy. Then next week we're going to talk about uh, how difficult it is for rich people to come into heaven because of their reliance on material possessions. And he challenges the young ruler next week and us to come empty-handed. So between those two passages, he takes this opportunity to teach on what it means to come into the kingdom empty-handed. That's what we're looking at. First, we're going to see the blessing of children. Verse 15 says... Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Now Matthew and Mark uh, have the same story, but in both Matthew and Mark, they use a different word instead of it saying uh, infants, as it does here. There simply says children. And Luke has changed this word to mean infants or babies is what uh, people were carrying to him. To set the scene, Jesus, as he comes, crowds come to him. They come to him. They may have to wait in line. They may have to come from great distances. But they come to him to receive a blessing. Be in his presence. Why do you come to Jesus? Do you come to Jesus? Do you come to Jesus regularly? Is it coming to Jesus, is it coming to this church building? Is there something in you that you recognize your brokenness and your need so that there's this desperate thing in you that makes you want to run to Jesus regularly, if for no other reason but to receive a blessing? I find this scene rather intriguing. The idea that people would come to Jesus with their children and ask for a blessing. But this is a this is an old Jewish tradition. The idea that people would bring the children to the priest goes back to uh, Genesis 48, when Jacob or Israel is uh, he's called in that passage. Uh, Jacob prays for, lays his hands on, and blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. Now these people who would come, they would come with various. Reason for various reasons, and and I don't know all, everybody's motives by any means. Um, we've talked about that in different in different situations with different people, and and like 
what mixed motives they must have had in coming. But this is one where this was a, a normal thing. The respected priest, the teacher, is, is present. So we're going to bring our children to him and have them, have him bless them. This was something that was not new to them. This was something they desired to do. And so they would come and stand in line if necessary. They had infants, I'm sure, strapped to them, whatever, strapped to their front, strapped to their back. They had probably some that were more like toddlers and they were holding. They probably had some that were running around and maybe standing in line. Maybe they were stirring up a little too much dust. I don't know. Maybe the hour was getting late. And this thing of bringing children to this priest at the time, this Jesus, was slowing the progress down. So the disciples decided to help manage the, this uh, problem, as they saw it, and put a squash on all these little children coming to Jesus. So they, they, they rebuked the people standing in line looking for the blessing. Like, you know, let's not, let's not mess with him. He's got better things to do. That's, this is my interpretation. The text is very unclear on what the motives for the disciples would have been. It just says they, he, they rebuked the people standing in line. Well, Jesus would have none of this. He said, bring the children to me. Let them come. I find this interesting. As much as the people yearned and longed for bringing their children to the priest, Jesus, Jesus longed to have the children brought to him. He desired to actually touch them and bless them. He knew what it was that he had to give. And he would not withhold that from the children. Becky and I began attending a Anglican church in 2002. Our kids at the time were 8, 9, and 11. And this is the first time we had experienced, when you came for, forward for communion, bringing our children, having someone pray a blessing over our children. We, we came from a background where personal salvation was at least... Uh, undervalued or understressed. I, I wouldn't say it was not believed. I don't know. It was it was not talked about much. So to come into the Anglican church and as we came for communion to bring our children, who then the priest or whoever was the bread server would pray a blessing over our children, was a very humbling thing for me. And it became one of my favorite times because I was not alone. Becky and I were not alone. We were not the only people in the world who were concerned whether or not our child would be in the kingdom. I found this very comforting. As we went forward and uh, helping with a church plant in Blacksburg, and we were doing the exact same thing that we did down in Roanoke in that regard, and I had a young man say to me, uh, or us, the the lead pastor and I, he, he was a little frustrated when these kids would come back after... Uh, the message and the prayer time, and they would come back at the end so that they would be here for communion, he found this a little frustrating because they would come back into the pew and his little children were a little challenging to be kept quiet and controlled in the pew. So he, he would just soon, they would not come back and he could pick them up at the end of the service. Because this is normal, this, this is what lots and lots and lots of churches do. You don't want those kids who are a nuisance under your feet at these times. Now, we did have these three kids. I know kids can do things at the wrong time, kind of wreck moments and all kinds of stuff. I get that. But I encouraged him to look at the blessing of the blessing as opposed to the interruption. And, of course, we weren't changing our ways anyway. 
I, and I, and I think, and he didn't leave. So I think he conformed to that and grew to appreciate that. And that beautiful thing where somebody else is interceding for my child. Anytime that's ever happened for me, it brings tears to my eyes. When I would, when I would see those young life kids, people, they were young adults who would pour their lives into my kids, I couldn't hardly greet them without crying. Uh, the youth leaders who I'd recruited down at Blacksburg, we had really no youth. And, uh, I asked them to teach a particular lesson one time. I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to recruit you to be, uh, youth group leaders. I just want you to go through this lesson. And then we'll see where the Lord leads it. Well, they continue to build into those kids. Well, still today, uh, they've been participating in both the weddings and so on. And they, the, the idea that somebody is building into my children, besides me, besides Becky, besides those who are paid staff at some big church, humbles me. It brings me to tears because I love my child. And, it, and I'm thankful that somebody else would love my child enough to show them the way to Jesus, show them the way to the kingdom. But we need that kind of help. Jesus, receiving these infants as they came, he used this opportunity to teach on what it looked like to enter the kingdom. Then he described this entrance or the, the uh, people who would enter the kingdom, that they would be like children, and then that they would receive as children. So we're going to look at being a child first. Verse 16 says, But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, he didn't say that the kingdom of God belonged to these infants, but it belongs to such as these. Those who are being as a child. The infant in his hands, as he's giving this message, could do nothing for himself or herself. That's the nature of being a baby. We know this. They cannot provide anything for themselves at all. They are helpless. They are totally helpless. They are utterly dependent because of that. And they know it. There's beauty in this. They're utterly dependent and they know it. And they don't care. They don't care. Babies don't care that they are utterly dependent. Y'all hear babies cry. That's because they, whatever, they need something. They don't care that they're making noise. They don't care that other people are going to look at them. They don't care that people are aggravated because they're making too much noise or whatever. They're doing nothing to please man at all. The only thing they're doing is crying because they have a need. And this doesn't last for a day or two. Ari just turned one, and I'm amazed at how much she's growing, and I think that's amazing. But she's still not self-sufficient. There is no baby, none of us would have made it to become a teenager if it weren't for the involvement of many, many others along the way. We need help. I think it's interesting, of all of God's creation, how long it takes us who are made in his image to do that. Those cows I talked about, they pop out a calf, and I don't know, here in a little bit, that calf's up and running around. Well, that's not how we do it. It takes us forever to grow into that. We are very dependent. But this baby that Jesus is holding, as he's telling the story, as he's using this as an illustration, shows us that this baby is totally dependent. What does it look like to enter the kingdom of God? Totally dependent, knowing it. But this is the reason that they're blessed. Since they have nothing to show for themselves, unlike this passage that was above, they have nothing to show for themselves. 
They're helplessly dependent. They have no pride to overcome. They, they cannot say, but I've attended, uh, but I've kept the Sabbath and I have kept the laws. They, they don't claim their own righteousness like the Pharisee did in the passage above. They just say, I need help. Jesus says that the kingdom belongs to those who would come totally empty-handed as a beggar. Hands out, nothing to offer. They know that all they can do is receive and be like the tax collector from those verses above who said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Anthony Bloom said, God can save the sinner you are, but not the saint you pretend to be. God can save the sinner you are, but not the saint you pretend to be. You want to you wanna understand works righteousness versus imputed righteousness? There's the story. Are you relying on your righteousness or that of Jesus? Sinner, in the previous passage, was relying only on Jesus. He had nothing to offer. The Pharisee went home unjustified, is what the text said. Because he relied on his own strengths, his own weaknesses, his own, I mean, his own strengths, his own achievements. God can save the sinner you are, but not the saint you pretend to be. From the old hymn, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. If we are to enter the kingdom, there is only one way. That is that we come. Empty, pleading, ready to receive. So what does it look like to receive as a child? Verse 17 says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Well, first off, a child would receive in trust. This is an, in, I, I, I find as in studying this, I, we've known, everybody's known about this passage. I get that. We've known this passage for a long time. But to think this through, an infant, this baby, trusts. Trusts those who have taken care. Most of the time it ends up being trust mom more than dad, trust dad more than the stranger. But there's, as the child grows, this, there's this trust that comes from the parents. It's in this parents, but then it's also in whoever might carry this child around. There's like this implicit trust. They don't, they don't have this thing that I know so much and you look a little wicked to me, therefore. Or I know your past deeds. No, they just trust. And that trust goes beyond even the parents. And then when it comes to their trust in God, they haven't been messed up. They, they haven't been fed a bunch of falsehood. They haven't fed, been fed a bunch of doubt. A baby could trust fully, whereas those religious leaders of the day, the Pharisee that we heard about before in the previous passage, he was skeptical. The Pharisees were skeptical about believing the words of Jesus, about believing the thing, these religious things. They didn't understand God's word. But the child comes with trust and is ready to believe, ready to receive. The one who receives the kingdom has saving faith, not just head knowledge. They believe in Jesus. They have, yes, a cognitive, a, a mental assent kind of understanding, those claims of Christ. They understand the propositional truths that have been explained, yes, of who Christ is and what he claims to do, but they also have trust. So, we, and, and I've talked about this 
before, but we don't have a verb for faith in our English language, so we just say believe. But believe, I can believe that this carpet is red. I can believe lots of things. That doesn't put my faith or my trust in it. And in order to think through, do I faith it? If you, if you just use faith as a verb, anytime you want to use believe, you know, it messes up, messes up your head because it doesn't work. But it, it conveys more than belief. Lots of times we tell people, all you need to do is believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Well, okay, what do you mean? Well, they, okay, who, who, who was he? What does he claim to do? All right, I believe that. That's my story. This is my story for years upon years upon years. I believed it. I didn't, I didn't trust my soul to him. Because I stood in my own righteousness and didn't understand I was a sinner before a holy God. So I had a mental assent, but I didn't trust. And these two things go together, belief and trust, which actually equals faith. By the time we put these two words together, you know, I can believe this chair will hold me, but will I sit in it? And then will it really stand to hold me? Or will I sit in it and it collapse? I believe and trust. Um, when somebody comes to this childlike faith and actually receives and they are regenerated, they recognize and believe, they faith that Jesus is able to reconcile them back to our Heavenly Father from who they were separated by sin. They recognize their sin. They knew their need for a Savior. They also are ready to receive then His righteousness, that alien righteousness that Ryan talked about last week, that that belongs to Christ as opposed to relying on their own. They trust Jesus for salvation and life in the present and the life to come. They have belief and trust. They have faith. They are confident in their status of being adopted by our Heavenly Father. That they are brothers and sisters with Jesus and joint heirs with Christ himself. So that faith then leads to humility. A childlike faith is humble. They don't come too proud to be real with God. They don't struggle with being prideful. They don't struggle with the fear of man. They know that they need they, they know when they are in need, and so should we. They receive by trust. They are humble, and they are ready to receive. So they are simply receptive. They are receptive. They know how to receive gifts. Now, maybe first birthday gift is a little weird. Maybe they don't know what to do with it exactly. But before long, you give this child a gift, and they're going to be ripping that paper off. They know what to do with it. They just gladly receive it. They don't get all weirded out and say, oh, but I don't really deserve that. Could you please, could you please give that to somebody that needs that more than me? That's a lot of times my response when somebody wants to give me something. I find that weird. I don't know what to do with it. What about you? Do you gladly receive? Can you be a child like that and say, yes, I'm going to rip this. I'm, Lord, you have this gift for me. I'm going to rip the paper off and throw it away and enjoy the gift you gave me. The other thing that in that receiving, there's not that weighing out, am I good enough to receive this gift? What did I do to deserve it? We too, we too must receive the kingdom in the same way, with glad hearts. We must get comfortable with grace. We are comfortable with law. Now, and I'll tell you, anytime I hear law, I, I you know have this sort of reflex. And, and 
and and there's there's truth in this. And I, I, I drive. I used to drive a lot. Don't drive so much now. But any time I drive, I feel like I just got to get there somehow. So I just fly. And in doing so, every time you see a policeman, the habit is you lift your foot. Sometimes now I'm I don't know. I'm just kind of daydreaming, motoring along, and I still lift my foot. But I may be going the exact same speed limit I'm supposed to go. But that's the habit that's built into me. So, but the reality is, is we know law. Law is in us. Law is in everybody. Whether they know Jesus or not, law is in them. But this thing of grace, we don't know what to do with. So we need to get comfortable with grace. We need to get comfortable with receiving this gift, this unmerited favor. And our response to this amazing grace, once we try to comprehend it, it should be that of profound gratitude. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Children are grateful and they respond in love to those who love them. They don't, they, they, they don't ask lots of questions and trying to seek out the other one's motives. They just receive love and they love in return. As we get old, we get jaded and we think if somebody loves us, they've got something up their sleeve. Why are you loving me like this? Why are you being nice to me? You don't even know me. If you knew me, you wouldn't be nice to me like this. So we get jaded. We need to be, have this childlike faith. It's our understanding that for us, for, for in, in our world and where we live, we really, really understand this and believe this. That for a baby to enter the kingdom, he, he must become a man or a woman. They, they must grow up so that they can discern and understand and choose for themselves. What Jesus is saying here is, that a man or a woman cannot enter the kingdom unless they become like the child. Unless they revert and become like the child. It's the flip side from what we understand. So that they can become like that child and they can receive like that child. How helplessly dependent are you? How willing to receive are you? Have you surrendered to him? And if so, in what ways? Because we know it's not, you know, sometimes we sing songs and it's like, I give all my life to you. No, we don't. We wish that were true. I want my sanctification to be instantaneous. As we teach, justification is instantaneous. When God regenerates you and you come awake in him, you recognize your sin, you repent and believe, yes. And then, boom, you are a child of the king. But then this sanctification... In my hurry-up kind of world, as slow as I am, it takes way too long. And I wish it were quicker. But it's in that sanctification process, in that where the Holy Spirit is in us, cleaning us up, purging us of sin, making us aware of where we're offending a holy God. Though that's a very long and slow process, that's part of his plan. So it's in that that we have to ask ourselves, have I surrendered? If so, in what way? Where have I not surrendered? How is it I could ask for help to surrender more of me? How could I ask my spouse? How could I ask my friend who speaks truth into my life? How could I help my child surrender in parts of their lives so that the Lord would work in and through them? So that they, like us, would show signs of believing. We would show fruit of the Spirit. Where have you surrendered? Where do you need to surrender? And then finally... To be like that child, are you willing to trade the fear of man, what others think about me, 
for confident trust, faith, resting in the one who made you? Are you willing to trade the fear of man for trusting in the Lord? That's part of that surrender. May he grant us his grace. May we be receptive to his grace. That we would not succumb to fear of man, but we would trust in who we are in him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.